You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Well, before we do anything, I just want to say, uh, can we like give a shout out to all of our incredible volunteers who were freezing out there, helping park cars, hold the door, say hello to you as you walked in. I'm so thankful for that crew and just their faithfulness and the way they serve and love to serve and even enjoy serving when they can't feel their hands. It's great. So, so I want to I want to start off tonight by kind of explaining how we got to this point because. You know, a couple weeks ago, we began, we, we began to promote a series that we were going to start tonight called Deep, and clearly, that's not the series that we're doing. We're doing a series called Dim, which I know those two words don't really mean much to you right now, but that's okay. I'll explain Dim here the next three weeks. But I want to explain why we made this change last second, because we had planned, you know, weeks, months in advance to do Deep, and had planned it all out, and then about two weeks ago, uh, we kind of pulled the plug on it, and I want to tell you what led up to that. So going back about three or four months... I've just had a series of conversation after conversation or encounter after encounter with either students or college pastors or random people who I had no idea who they were who would bring up evangelism. Um, And it it was happening back in the summer, but it really started to kind of, I started to really pay attention to it in October. I was in Tennessee in a a hotel room with uh, one of my college, or one of my buddies who's a college pastor uh, at the University of South Florida. And he asked me, he goes, "So, so what do you guys do for sharing the gospel on campus? Like, how do you all go about doing evangelism on campus? And I said, well, I kind of explained to him how our communities work and how really our communities, that's the main missional arm of our ministry. And so most of our evangelism and gospel sharing comes out of that. Um, but then he asked me, so how do you train your students to share the gospel? How do you train them uh, in evangelism? And, uh, and I said, well, we honestly, we don't do a whole lot of that. Um, we do a little bit here and there, but we don't do much of that. And my mindset behind that, like the reason for that is because, you know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And, it, you know, when you taste something that's good, you're just naturally going to tell somebody else about it. Like, I don't know if you have a favorite restaurant. I have, uh, when I was, like, really young growing up, and uh, I, my favorite restaurant was Grandy's as a little kid. And uh, some of y'all are like, ugh, Grandy's, really? It's a true story. Loved it because I loved their chicken fried steak, um, which I'll be honest, now I still love their chicken fried steak, but now I'm old enough and smart enough to know it's really not chicken fried steak. It's like chicken fried filling, whatever, yeah, whoever said that, I don't know what it is, but it still tastes good, so sometimes I get it, but... So my parents, if if they ever asked me, where do you want to go eat? I'd say Grandy's. Even if it was like 6 a.m., I'd say Grandy's. I want chicken fried steak. And anywhere we would go to eat, like that was the the judgment of the restaurant. Like the restaurant was good based off of their chicken fried steak. So like Chili's, I'd get chicken fried steak. Applebee's, we would actually go there back then. Uh, I would eat chicken fried steak. El Chico, I don't know if you ever heard of that place, uh, but I would get chicken fried steak. And if I liked it, cool. If not, my parents knew that I probably wouldn't want to go eat there. But anyways, they would drag me places despite that. Um, but when you like something, you talk about it. Um, Ross and Lou Chadwick, which I don't know if they're here tonight, they're leaders in our, they're life group leaders in our ministry. Uh, a couple of years ago, they asked me if I have ever, if I had ever been to a place in Aubrey called Moms on Main. And uh, some of you apparently know about that place. So they said, Austin, we know you love chicken fried steak, which if you don't know, I love chicken fried steak. I love chicken fried steak. Like I'm talking, if I was on death row, which hopefully I'm never on death row, my last meal before they kill me is going to be chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, fried okra. Uh, some sweet tea, not like Texas sweet tea, like I'm talking real southern sweet tea with the side of chicken fried steak. Um, I love chicken fried steak. And they knew I love chicken fried steak, so they said, uh, you got to go to Mom's on Main because they have great chicken fried steak. And so they actually took me to Mom's on Main up in Aubrey. 
And, uh, and so I went and I had the chicken fried steak and it was glorious. It was one of the best chicken fried steaks I've ever had in my life. And you know what was funny about it is, is Ross and Lou, they got just about as much joy out of watching me enjoy my chicken fried steak as they themselves got joy from eating their own chicken fried steak. And after I went there, experienced this incredible piece of food or meat or chicken fried steak in my mouth, uh, I, I couldn't help but tell people about it. So like I found myself a couple days later, I'm hanging out with some guys that I kick it with often. And I'm like, dude, have y'all been to Moms on Main? They're like, ugh, what is that? It sounds like a girly place. No, Moms on Main has the best chicken fried steak. So I ended up taking them to Moms on Main for the chicken fried steak. And I got so much joy, not only myself out of eating it that second time, but watching them eat it and experience the same joy that I had experienced. And, and since then, I've taken more people to Moms on Main. And now I find myself here in front of hundreds of students saying, you've got to go to Moms on Main and experience their chicken fried steak. Now, I say all of this because when you taste something that's good, it just naturally comes out of you in conversation. You want to tell other people because you want them to taste it. You want them to experience it. And this is how I view evangelism. This is what I feel like sharing the gospel is like. When you encounter God, it's a natural response to encountering God. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, you just naturally talk about it with other people. So that was my conversation up in Tennessee. I come back to Denton, and I, I, I have multiple students come up to me in the past couple weeks, past couple months since then, or month since then, and, and they have asked me things or brought up evangelism. And something that has been common in all of those conversations is there's been this, this fear of sharing the gospel. Or there's this, been this feeling of, of, of being unqualified to share the gospel with somebody. Or there's been this uncertainty as to, like, I'm not really even sure what to do in sharing the gospel. Like some people have this fear of, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't understand or, or can't answer? Like you're afraid of that, so you don't share the gospel because of that. Or some of you, you're afraid because you're like, well, what if they, you know, like I don't want to share the gospel. Some people are like, I don't want to share the gospel because people know my past, and my past is not good. And they're going to laugh at me thinking, yeah, you, Jesus, nuh-uh. So you're afraid to share the gospel in that sense. Or some of you, you just don't feel qualified, like you don't feel like you understand enough about the Bible to do it, or you don't know how to start the conversation, or you're afraid of awkward conversations, and you're afraid that might happen when you try to share the gospel. There's all these fears and uncertainties that come with you and sharing the gospel. And so I had these conversations with, with so many of you. And then I have more people coming up, coming up to me saying, hey, you know, here's some free evangelism training material. I had like multiple people just Walk up, give me free evangelism training material. And then two weeks ago, here was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, I was doing a wedding for a student of mine um, who I had when I was at my last church in Lubbock, Texas. And after finishing the wedding, this girl comes up to me, and she opens up her purse, which that's scary when a girl comes up to you and opens up her purse. But she opens up her purse, and she pulls out this small Bible, and she says, Look, I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I felt like God was telling me to come give this to you. And she hands me this Bible, and I meant to bring it in here, but it's a small Bible, honestly kind of a cheesy-looking Bible, but it's a Bible that is designed to help train somebody in how to share the gospel. And, and she begins to explain the Bible and, and the purpose behind it and everything, and, and for some reason God used that moment to kind of slap me in the face two weeks ago and say, dude, when are you going to get the gist? You need to talk about how to share the gospel with your students. You need to talk about why we share the gospel with your students. You need to talk about who should be sharing the gospel. You need to talk about when to share the gospel and where and all that good stuff. And so over the next three weeks, that's exactly what we're going to do. 
And we're going to do something that we've never done before at Overflow. At the end of each night, we're going to dismiss everybody just like we normally do. And then there's going to be an optional opportunity for you to come back in five minutes later. And we're each night going to have a short 10-minute workshop or training session to teach you how to share the gospel starting tonight. So that being said, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 14. I'll give you a chance to get there. I'm going to get a little drink of my water. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now listen to what he says right there at the beginning. He says, you are the light of the world. Now this phrase has huge implications. It implies that this world is a dark place. Now, I want you to consider the qualities of darkness. When you are in the dark, you can't, now minus the fact that everybody's using their cell phones tonight. Uh, <laughs> when you're in the dark, you can't, you can't see. You can't see where you are. You can't see where you're going. You can't see who's next to you. In fact, you don't even necessarily know what the person next to you looks. Now, you know now because you were just in the light, but if you lived in darkness, you would not know what the people around you looked, looked like, let alone what you yourself look like. Darkness, it leads to fear. Some people are afraid of the dark. Darkness leads to uncertainty. Darkness leads to confusion, disorientation, lack of knowledge of what's around them. And there's certain things that people will gladly do in the dark that they would never do in the light. This is why this illustration would never work at a youth camp. Darkness hides things. Evil thrives in the darkness. And let me tell you this. This is the spiritual condition of the world. Billions of people are living in the dark. They're lost. They are living in fear. They're living without hope. They're living without direction. They're living without truth. They're living without life. But what happens when you turn on a light? When you turn on a light, it displaces the darkness. When you turn on a light, it actually creates a little bit of a, of a, of a guiding point, almost like a lighthouse. You know, it kind of points the way or it says, hey, this is where this is. It reorients you. It reveals what's hidden in the dark. Light changes everything. One small light in a big room can make a huge difference. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, you are the light of the world. One small light in a big world makes a huge difference. One small light on a big campus makes a huge difference. One small light in a big dorm or a big apartment complex makes a huge difference. But listen to me. 
before we can even consider how, how cool a light is and the impact that it can have, we first have to understand this. Darkness is not only the condition of the world that we live in. It's not only a picture of the spiritual condition of our world. It is a picture of our hearts, of our minds, of our lives prior to an encounter with God. You have to understand that darkness, that right there is a picture of your spiritual condition, your heart, your life, prior to you placing your faith in Jesus. The thing is, Jesus, he has to do something in you before you can do anything for him. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Then you look at verse 6, and he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, showing this picture that in creation we see what God wanted to do through Jesus. This universe was dark, and he brought light into the darkness. That's the same thing Jesus has done. And so 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And you know what's so amazing about this statement that Jesus says, saying, You are the light of the world? What's amazing about it is the fact that at one point, you were not the light of the world. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, he says. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, first of all, did you hear that list that he just gave us? Because I think many, if not most, if not all of us in this room can identify in some way with that list. Look at it again. He says, sexually immoral. I mean, we could probably just stop there. Idolaters definitely could stop there. Adulterers. Men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revelers, swindlers. And he says, such were some of you. I think he's being nice there. He says, that's what we all were. That's what I was. That's what you were. And so my question is, those of you who are afraid of sharing the gospel, sharing your faith with somebody else because you're afraid that they might know what your past is and see your nasty junk and laugh at you for sharing Jesus with them, why are you afraid of that? Those of you who are afraid or, or, or feel like you're unqualified to share the gospel because of your past junk, why? I mean, this is exactly what Jesus does. He takes people like you. He takes people like me. And it says there in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 6, he says he washes us. You know what that means? It means he, he cleans us. He, he gives us this really good scrub down, removing all of the dirt, all of the grime, all of the stains that have been left from our sin. And then he says he sanctifies us. You know what that means? It means after that initial scrub down, he continues to wash us. He continues to scrub us down over and over and over as we continue to struggle with sin, leaving dirt and grime and stains all over us. He continues to wash that away 
until eventually we begin to grow out of those habitual sins. And then it says he justifies us. In other words, he made us completely right with God. Through his death on the cross, he has taken care of this massive debt that we owed God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, You are ransomed through Jesus' blood. That's the gospel. He takes the people who are blind and he gives them the ability to see. He takes the people who are smothered in darkness and he, and he fills them with light. He takes the people who are dead in their sin and he gives them new life. And here's how he does it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So if that's true of you, if you've put your faith in Christ, you've crossed from the darkness into the light, death to life, blindness to being able to see, then you need to hear what Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 5. He's talking to you when he says, you are the light of the world. Michael Green, uh, in his commentary on this, he said, and all this is possible only because Christ is the light of the world. Until he has illuminated us we can never shine with his reflected light. The imperative of shining is based on the indicative of being lit up by him. So if Christ is in you, like if you have been lit up by Christ, if, keyword, you have been lit up by Christ, then you are the light of the world. Then you are. You are the hope of the world. The world is desperately in need of you to show them the way. To show them the path to life. And, and something else you need to see in this. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. He says, you. Now when he was talking or saying this 2,000 years ago, he wasn't talking to all the highly educated, battle-tested, debate team all-stars. He was talking to the ordinary, uneducated men and women who were there in that crowd. And so again, those of you who are afraid of sharing the gospel because you feel uh, unqualified, you feel like maybe you aren't going to be able to answer all or maybe any of their questions that they might ask you, why are you afraid? Those of you who you, you're afraid to share the gospel, you're afraid to live out your faith on campus because you're new at this. Like, you don't know much about the Bible. Like, you don't know where the book of Amos is. You don't know who Jephthah was. Why are you afraid? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He says, yes, I'm talking to you. You are the light of the world. He doesn't say you're the light of the world because of your seminary degree. He doesn't say you're the light of the world because, like, you would kick butt in some all-star Bible drill. He doesn't say you're the light of the world at all because of you. He says you're the light of the world because he is in you. You're the light of the world because of what he's done to you, not because of what you have done to you. I'll put it this way. Um... I believe in electricity not because somebody has gotten up here and, and given me this super eloquent, apologetic argument for the existence and the power of electricity. I believe in electricity because I can see what it's doing to this bulb right here. I can see the impact that it's having on this piece of glass. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, let us never forget that light must first be imparted to us or it can never go forth from us. We are not lights of the world by nature. At best, we are but lamps unlit until the Spirit of God comes. Listen to me. People will not believe in Jesus because you give them this perfectly eloquent speech with all these great, greatly fashioned arguments for Christ. People are going to come to know Jesus 
Because they can look at you and see what he's done in your life. In another sermon, Charles Spurgeon said this, The Bible is not the light of the world. It's the light of the church. The world doesn't read the Bible. The world reads Christians. This is why Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And that leads perfectly into what what Jesus says next. Verse 14 again, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor, he says, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So first, God wants to light us. Second, God wants to put us in the most visible place as possible in the house, in the room, in the building, in the world. So think about this. Like this right here is way more effective being here on the stand in front of everybody than it would be effective back here behind the curtain. Can you turn the lights off for a second? This was unplanned. I mean, you can still see the light, but do you notice how, how much less of an effect it has on the room? Or consider the difference between having the light out in front or even just barely hiding it behind this wood. See, I mean, you can still see it, but you really don't get the effects of it. Jesus, God, he wants to not only light us up, but secondly, he wants to put us in the most visible place in the room. And so what that means is, really, this is a matter of what Jesus says here in verse 14 and 15. You can turn the lights back on. This is a matter of being where God wants us to be. God wants to put you on display. And the reason he wants to put you on display is because in putting you on display, he's essentially putting himself on display. Let me, let me explain. That bulb is not that impressive when you look at it. It looks like a piece of glass, and it has some wires in the middle of it. So when I look at this bulb, I'm not impressed by the bulb. What I'm impressed by is what's happening inside the bulb. And what's happening inside the bulb is not, like the, like the bulb isn't powering the bulb. You get what I'm saying? Like the bulb is being powered by an outside source. And this bulb would not be awesome unless it was plugged in to the outside source. And so I'm fascinated by this bulb. And, and then really, you look at the, the, the impact that this bulb has on this dark room. The only reason it has this impact is not because it's a light bulb. It has the impact on the room when the room was dark because of what is feeding the light bulb. Because of the source that it is attached to. Because of the source that it's connected to. And it won't have an effect if it's hidden or disconnected from that source. If our evangelism strategy is to hide in here and wait for everybody else to come to us, we're not going to see many people come to know Christ. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The world is out there. The world is not in here. The world is outside of these walls. Very few people are going to come to know Christ because they, on their own will, decided to come to overflow. Few people are going to come to know Christ just because they decided to come here. People will come to know Christ when they get the chance to watch you and listen to you. And if they ever happen to be given from you the chance, they might just take hold of what you're offering to them. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared to ask this question. But I need to ask it. By raise of hand, how many people in this room would say that you became a Christian or you put your faith in Christ 
because of somebody else in this room leading you to Christ. Or no, not in this room, but somebody else in this ministry or in this church leading you to Christ. Raise your hand if you became a Christian directly as a result of somebody else in this room leading you to Christ. Put it up high so, so we can see it. Wow. There's one in the balcony too. I'll, I'll be honest. You can put your hands down. I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away. Um, I, I did not expect that many people, which wasn't very many people, but I didn't expect that many people to raise their hands. But you consider how many people in this room, and probably eight, nine, maybe ten people just raised their hands. Like, I don't want to diminish how awesome that is. But I feel like that might be a gauge for us. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like, here's the thing. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. That means when we understand the qualities of darkness and we understand the qualities of light, that means understanding the qualities of light, we have the opportunity, the unique ability to point people to the truth. We have the unique ability to uncover the truth for people. We have the unique ability to be a guiding point for people to find and know and see Christ. But are we? So you look on Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And he goes on to say, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says right there at the beginning, let your light shine before others. Our role in leading people to Christ might be more about intentionality than anything else. Like the emphasis there being on let it happen. Let your light shine before others. So I'll say this again. Our role in leading people to Christ might be more about intentionality than anything else. People don't come to know Christ accidentally. People come to know Christ always as a result of somebody intentionally sharing the gospel with them. It's always the result of somebody intentionally choosing to live out their life in front of that person. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? Preaching doesn't happen accidentally. And this isn't talking about getting up here and preaching like this. Like just sharing the gospel doesn't happen accidentally. Like there's some things that accidentally come out of our mouths. Like a couple weeks ago, sprained my ankle. I think I told you that story already. Like in the past, man, when I would sprain my ankle, which has happened a lot, unfortunately, playing basketball, I'd, 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 I'd land on it and then accidentally certain words would come out of my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like it's happened to you. You know what I'm saying? Now, I've grown up a little bit, so this time, accidentally, those words didn't come out of my mouth. But the thing is, accidentally, we say stuff. You don't accidentally share the gospel. Like, you go up for a layup playing basketball, you land on your ankle wrong, sprain it, and as you're going down, you don't go, oh, let me tell you about Jesus and how he's changed my life. Oh, my gosh. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, that doesn't happen accidentally. Our role in leading people to Christ might be more about intentionality than anything else. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. That is on you. That is on me. It's a matter of being where God wants us to be. And being where God wants us to be and saying what God wants us to say is an intentional decision that we have to make. 
And the result of that is this. Verse 16, again, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. And here's the result. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, here's what he's saying. They will see your good works, and then they will glorify or give glory to the source of those good works. They will feel the power of your words as you share the gospel, as simple and even incomplete as it might be. But as they feel the power of your words, their response will be to give glory to the one who is infusing your very simple words with power. John Stott, in his commentary on this, he simply wrote this. So the result, it's the light they will praise, not the lamp which bears it. So all that being said, let me tell you what it all comes back to. It all comes back to darkness. This This is the spiritual condition of our world without Jesus. And according to what Jesus says here, this is the spiritual condition of our world without you. Our world is in desperate need of light. Our world is in desperate need of Jesus. Our world is in desperate need of people who have first been changed by Jesus, who can now change other people or have an impact on other people through the power of Jesus. Our world needs this light, this guiding light, this light that reveals what's hidden in the darkness, this light that reveals the truth, displaces the darkness, pushes it out. And one small light can make a huge difference. I want to show you one more thing. Look at verse 14 again. He says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say you are a light of the world, as if there's many other options. That word the may be the most important word in this verse. He says you are the light of the world. We are it. We are God's plan A for this world. There is no plan B. It is on us To help the world see their desperate need for Jesus. And let me tell you this. Our world, and and really my mind is more turned and focused on our campuses. Our campuses are dim. Because there's just not a lot of lights. But I believe that that will change. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.